Just a little love note to all of our loyal free cookie listeners and to anyone who might be new to the show. This is an ad-free podcast. And we want to keep it that way. We want to make sure that we can just give you guys the awesome content, the great interviews. and Without the stuff that you have to fast forward. But in order to do that, we need your support. So if you could join us over at patreon.com forward slash free cookies and become a patron of the show, there are many tiers that you can join. You can throw us a dollar, you can do five, and it turns out we're going to start putting some content up for those of you who are hardcore free cookie supporters. We're going to make this worth your while. So if there's some of you out there who just listen to the show, and you feel like, hey, you know what? I could, I could spend two, three bucks a month. Great. If you guys need a little something as incentive, we're going to put some videos up on Patreon that are going to be exclusive to those of you who are free cookie monsters. And I mean, we're talking some good content. Like I'm going to take you inside my sneaker closet, like that kind of content, you know? And I will contribute recipes and perhaps every now and then our dog will give you a soliloquy. So again, that is patreon.com forward slash free cookies. Thank you. Thanks. I'm Catherine Butig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. Wow. And yeah. on today's show, we've got some blockbuster guests. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. How long do you think that pause was? Scary enough that... Pregnant enough to fill your ego? <laughs> oh! Snack! <laughs> Sometimes I ask Catherine if she thinks my ego is so big <laughs> that we have to lather it up with butter so I can get through the doorways. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, you yeah. did earnestly look at me the other night and you're like, is my ego? I mean, I don't think my ego is big. I was like, <sighs> that's interesting. As you may have guessed, dear listener, <laughs> the one of the guests on today's show is me. <laughs> that's right, baby. It's me. And, I, and that is why I held off on my usual end today. Well, you didn't I, want to get too excited about yourself? It was actually a combination of things. I thought, it's a special day. We should do something different. Oh, wow. And then, <laughs> and then in those two to three seconds, I thought, it's not that big of a deal that I'm on the show because I'm on the show every day. And that is what happened inside of my apparently very big mind, brain, And then you're head. like, baby, go get the butter. It's <laughs> time to grease me through this door. Oh, I'm sure this is amazing for you, Free Cookies listeners, <laughs> this little insight into our, <laughs> and into our marriage dynamic. But on today's show... <laughs> We, we are going to be talking about Kate's newest book, All the Colors Came Out, published by Little Brown. And the very exciting guest, aside from my wife, she just made some motion that it I don't It was understand. a phoenix. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. It is the June pick for The Inky Phoenix, which is my book club that you can find on Instagram at The Inky Phoenix. And if you enjoy this and you want to read along, we will be doing a Zoom conversation at the end of June. And if you're interested in getting that information, well, <laughs> you've got to follow the club. So if that whets your appetite, W-H-E-T-S. Merge. <laughs> so All the Colors Came Out is the book that I wrote about the last year of my dad's life when I was helping my mom take care of him at the end of his battle with 
ALS, which is a neurodegenerative disease that's 100% fatal. And the book, but the book is about, the book is really a love letter to my dad talking about the life lessons he taught me when I was growing up through the game of basketball and then marrying those basketball life childhood lessons with that last year and facing death and reassessing priorities in life together. The way my elevator pitch for it is Tuesdays with Maury meets hoop dreams for any of uh, you doc lovers or basketball lovers out there as well. But do people need to like basketball to read this book? Thank you, dear wife. Dear apparently is a favorite word of mine for this podcast. No. You're like a Victorian memoirist. <laughs> dear listener, dear wife, dear mother, who will be coming on the podcast later. True. But no, you don't need to, have, this is not a sports book. This is, this is not a book that who's, the foundation of which is any knowledge about sports whatsoever. It is a book about relationships, life, love, loss that happens to dabble and some of the lessons are told through the game, but they're not about the game. You don't need to be wanting to play the game to apply these lessons or to, I think, connect with the, with the story. Because the story is about a, a father-daughter dynamic, but it's about a relationship that life has dented. Is this for someone who has experienced loss or has experienced someone dying from a disease? Dear wife, thank you for the question. <laughs> no. It is. It is a book for, for those people. But it's, I, I think that the way I tried to write it was that it's not just if you've had ALS in your life or if you've had disease in your life or if you've had someone close to you die. I think it's also for any of us who are well ahead of any of those things happening in our life, but we're perhaps questioning our priorities or the value we're getting out of the decisions we're making and the way our life is going before you get to those moments when someone you love or perhaps e even yourself are facing kind of one of those, those crucial life moments. It's, it's to fill your mind with certain, th to read our story and perhaps make you question the choices you're making and whether they're aligned correctly with the life that you want. Do you have to have a good relationship with your parental figure? Dear wife, thank you for that question. <laughs> I love that you're, you're like teeing me up. I, 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 these are all the questions that readers have brought up about, is this book for me? Yeah, I, I think this book is for, of course, I mean, I wrote it. I think this book is for anyone who, who wants to look at life differently. That, that's, that's the reason I wrote it, because I looked at life differently. But if you, are, if you do not have a good relationship with your father, just to give a very explicit example, you know, some people may not have a great relationship with their dad, so the last thing you want to do is pick up a book that's a love letter to a father. The thing I've learned in, in any writing I've done is that I have specific details that are specific to my life and the story I'm writing, or if it's uh, someone else's, there are very specific details if you write them correctly and if someone's receiving them with an open mind, they become universal. So yes, this is a story about my relationship with my dad who spent a lot of time with me growing up, but you can transplant my dad for anybody in your life that showed up for you in any way, who perhaps you've grown apart from or, or the, the relationship has changed. I don't think that that dynamic is unique in any way. And so although 
on face value, it's like, oh, this is basketball and dads. It is those things, but I, I, the goal of the book was to be able to transcend to the universal human experience of loving someone and things and things changing along the course of life and then wanting to reconnect with that relationship. Okay. The final question. Dear wife. Dear wife. And this is funny to me, but this is legit been another thing that I've heard. Do, do you have to be into gay things to like this book? Well, if you're not into gay things, I don't understand why you're not into gay things because gay things are pretty cool. But this is another thing you've heard. <laughs> this is not a gay book. Uh, I don't go around flaunting my sexuality in this book, despite the fact that I love to do that normally. Is it a coming out story? <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, it's a falling in story. Oh, to quote your genius wife. <laughs> it's a, no, uh, the, the only gay thing about this book is the fact that you and I happen, and I am in it happen to be married. <laughs> you happen to have you happen to be my wife. Not happen. This is a great thing that I forcefully want. We did choose this. Yes, we, we did choose it. <laughs> and in I, case you think this is coded. And every and every day I'm continuing to choose it. S O willingly. S O S with open arms chasing after you, going marry me still, love me. But no, this. That that is a small small through line of, of the book is the impact that that coming out had on my relationship with my dad. But in no way is that a, is that a storyline. In in no way do I think that you have to be a gay woman who loved the New York Knicks in the nineties <laughs> and grew up in upstate New York and had a dad who played basketball overseas and played. At, you know, no. Thanks for clearing that up. I, I just I, I feel I feel that's strong. That's strong. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to give my mom a call. Uh, right, you, you, perhaps you'll even hear the phone ringing. Not a thing we usually do on free cookies, bling, but bling. it's a fun experiment. And the reason we're, we're giving her a call is because my mom actually wrote the forward for all the colors came out. So we're going to ask her a few questions about that process. So here we go. I'm hitting the button. Do it. We can hear it. We can hear it ring. This is exciting. I feel like we're a live radio show. Hey, Kate. And Catherine! (laughs) And Catherine, I thought it was just Kate to begin with. (laughs) We are rolling. First time caller, long time listener. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, so that's what it means when you tell me you're going to call me when you're rolling. It's not going to be you're going to stop everything and call me. We were going to get a little high and then we were going (laughs) to give you a call. It's like when the car is driving by and you're like, come on, run in and get in. We're not stopping. Completely, you just gotta sprint ahead and ju- jump in. That's what we've done to you. And, and how mom. often have I executed that so so well <laughs> with the car? Yeah. So there you go. Many times. That's how we used to pick mom up when we would swing <laughs> by the house. Um, oh, well, thanks for, thanks for joining us. We've already we've already teed the people up, the free cookies listeners up about all the colors came out, and we wanted to have you on to just take us behind the scenes of even from from idea to execution about how you thought about about the forward and what you wanted it to be. Yeah. Well, so first of all, when I was asked to do it by you, Kate, and only later did I find out it was actually Ryan's suggestion, um, my, my other daughter, <laughs> um, of course I was feeling supremely honored to have that role. And... 
I felt honored for several months without doing anything about it. <laughs> you just basked in the feeling of being honored. Exactly, exactly. And then, and then finally, Vanessa, God bless her. Um, That's the editor. Like, oh, yep. I don't know if I instigated it or what, but I got what I needed, which is, as we all know, a deadline. Mm. And, um, you know, and especially once I had that, of course, I, I kid, I had been thinking about it, but I really hadn't started writing it. And I remember I texted you both one night about what I thought one of the main themes would be, which was, what I got to in the end, um, and that is that kind of thinking about how do we want to be remembered? Um, because you were remembering dad here in this memoir. And um, so I had some thoughts around that, but that wasn't going to, that wasn't going to give me, a, gonna give me a, an entire forward, but I knew that's kind of where I wanted to end up. Mm. And then I started thinking about, you know, our history together, me and dad, um, and the fact that there's probably a lot of ums here. Sorry, I'll try to eliminate them. Uh, oh, there's another one. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> not geez. working out so well for you over there, Mama Fagan. <laughs> Mom, your writing is crisp with this audio. <laughs> Let's see if I can throw a few uh, likes in as well. Uh, yeah, do mine. That, mine's the like. Go ahead and work that one in. <laughs> So uh, in thinking about dad, I was also thinking about the fact that he loved lists. So I thought that, okay, I'll, I'll incorporate that too. And it'll help me structure this. And so what I did was I, I told our story that segued to your stories, yours and Ryan's with him as a father. And I started out with a moment from the recent present with Henry, you know, your nephew and my, my grandson. And I decided that that would be a good structure. And I, and I fleshed it out from there. And once I had that structure, you know, as writers, that's, that's the main thing is just getting started. And then it can start to flow pretty well until you get to the editing stage where you can keep editing until you die. That's <laughs> right. Until you just choose to stop. <laughs> right. Um, so that's really the, the, you know, the skeleton of how it came to be, but there was so much to fill in the gaps with because dad just was so much. And brought so much to our family that it was more a question of me trying to figure out the best stories to include that were going to be a good introduction to what your follow-up was, your meager follow-up. I love it. The, the, the book is the follow-up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Kathy, but you, so you start with this little you know, anecdote with Henry and Frankie and, and this concept of things not being fair, which is such a classic sure. interaction with little ones. It's not fair. And, and so I'm wondering in that moment, which I'm, I'm sure something to, similar to this happened many times, did it strike you when Henry said it's not fair? Did it immediately bring you into your own experience with Chris? Or 
it, it is just, it's one of the more graceful transitions and, and funny and relatable and sweet and, and, and you just transition to it so perfectly. And I'm wondering if that it struck you when Henry did that, did you immediately go scribble this down or were you already sitting down with your computer when this came to you? The, the latter. It, it, I didn't really scribble many things down that I, re- I could be wrong about that. There might've been a thing or two, because as we all know, sometimes you think that this nugget that has come to you when you're inspired is something that you're never going to forget. And then five minutes <laughs> later, you're like, what all the was time. that? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't do a lot of that. I worked from my memory almost entirely. And, but to answer your question, you know, 50, 50, I, I think when Henry would have his meltdowns, which he doesn't have anymore, thank God. (laughs) And, and would say things like that every once in a while, like my my brain would flit to that idea, you know, except, and I would tell, and I actually did at one point say that to him, Henry, like, you know, life just isn't fair. And, realizing as I was doing it, while wow, it was just so lame and so stupid banana, but that's, so that, so I didn't go and write it down, but it definitely came to me as part of all of this process of fairness and luck and what we're handed out during life. And for us, we were handed a whole hell of a lot of, good luck and great fortune and fun. And then boom, the brakes got, you know, got thrown on. Mom, will you share with our free cookies listeners, your relationship with writing over the years and and what you want it to be going forward? Oh, I've always been, ever since I was in school, I was a good writer. I was, I would, kick ass with essays that I had to write and, you know, all kinds of nonfiction pieces. I I excelled at those. I think I can say fairly, Um, you know, I have a decent vocabulary and and a good way with words and I read a lot. So here I am patting myself on the back a a tiny bit, but my goal has always been to write a novel. And wow, such an amazingly different beast. And so I've had many fits and starts with novel writing. And you know, to the point where I'd write 10, 20, 30,000 words of some brand new idea I had, and then just let it go by the wayside. And I've always been very critical of myself in that you know, let's face it, Fagan, you are not a real writer because real writers find a way to get it done. They have their day job and they get up at 5 a.m. and do their novel from 5 a.m. to 6.30 and then get the kids up and blah, 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 blah. And that is not you. And so you are not a writer. But I think I've come to realize that, you know, writers do it as many different ways as there are writers. Yes. Um, So I've stopped like beating myself up over that. And my goal is still to complete a novel. And I am closer to that than I've ever been before. Although I'm not close at all to the end. So 
So that's what I'm working on right now that I have time and I've retired and I'm, I'm very excited about it, but I try not to get too down on myself when a couple of days go by and I don't get writing done because I really should every day, but I don't. This is a question for both of you, you know, as I sit here and, and look at this book and for people who haven't seen the cover, it's this very abstract, beautiful um, oil painting of Chris Fagan. And very striking cover, very, very beautiful book. And then, of course, you open the book and all of the words are about Chris Fagan. And I just want to know what it is like as a, a wife and a daughter to have something like this out in the world. I, you know, and I know Kate was already a memoirist before, but that's something that I've always struggled with is this concept of sharing. It's one thing to share fiction. It's one thing to share um, ideas and beliefs that you might have in fictional form, but to bear the good and the bad and the ugly about your family in a book, what is that like for both of you? Especially since Chris isn't here to <laughs> defend himself. <laughs> to say anything. I can't. I think there's one part of it that I think I find. I guess that I want to relate, and that is that because Catherine, you and I, and and mom, you and I, and the three of us together were present for every like page of the book being written almost from mom, you and I sitting in the coffee shop downtown Charleston when I, when I asked you if you thought the book was a good idea to the book actually arriving on our doorsteps, the fact that we saw it being created sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph it's it's the the question of like what's it feel like to have the book exist is almost a, a parallel question to like what it feels like to hold an iPhone my night you know my my ten year old mm-hmm. self holding an iPhone it's like I can't conjure because I was there every step of its iteration I can't conjure the true feeling of what it means to have a book about dad that I can hold that's my experience with it mom yeah well and that I, I think. KB, to the specifics of your question, I had the much easier task. I mean, how many pages is the forward? I don't know, six or seven. And I really focused on the good stuff, which was easy to do. Um, it would have been easy to focus on the bad stuff, too, because there was, you know, it's it's a marriage and it's a lifetime. and um, But... Kate's the one who bore the burden of focusing on everything from a really honest and and vulnerable perspective. You know, my job was very easy, comparably. But I think also your job in terms of writing the forward and the words you wrote down that are part of All the Colors came out, but I think we all felt, and Catherine, I include you in this, as shepherds of dad's memory and Mm -hmm. wanting the book to be an honest reflection of him in all of in all of the prisms that honesty means beyond just the honesty about what a great dad he was which is undeniable but also the honesty about certain decisions at the end that were difficult for us or that put pressure on the family so I think 
I don't, th- th- I guess the question in there for you, mom is how, when, how did you see your, your role in terms of dad's memory? I think like yours, it was to be as honest as possible, but also to be as vivid as possible so that, so that he would really live in readers' minds. And I think you did that really well, but it's also why I wanted, from a slightly different perspective, you know, you dealt so much with his role in basketball which was the passion the two of you shared. And I wanted to show him from a slightly different perspective as a father and all of the other things that he brought to the table that you might not necessarily touch on. Um, I don't, and that, you know, that highlighted him in a different way as a father. I don't know if that answers your question or not. It might not, but that's how I answered it. So, so deal with it. So that's what you get. Exactly. Here's a yes or no question. Do you think I'm a glory hound? <laughs> Aren't we all? It's, it's true. I don't want to, I don't want to bear that burden too much whenever, if there's glory to be had, I mean, who's not grabbing at it, right? Uh, exactly. Exactly. And you know, so many of us don't really have that much of a chance to grab glory. So yeah, when we do, Hey, hold on tight. Yeah. Um, all right, mom, before we let you go, will you, will you give the, you're letting me go. (laughs) That's all right. That's you rolled in and now you're getting dropped off without us stopping. (laughs) So you kind of got to tumble out like uncle Mike used to do this time. Okay. More of a warning. (laughs) Um, what is your, for the listeners, what's, what's your pitch on why to read the book? I think number one, and this, these numbers, again, okay, I'm a list person Make a list, too. make a list. <laughs> this, is just way, this is right off the top of my head, but seriously. Okay, first, because I think when someone is as honest and vulnerable in the way that they recount a, a difficult and sometimes traumatic situation and and tries to be as authentic as possible, which is, I I truly believe and know you were. I think that helps everyone who reads a book like that, try to be more like that in their own lives. And because I think our instinct is to be self-protective and try and, and not be as vulnerable as, as maybe we should be in life in order to really truly connect with, with other people. Um, number two, (laughs) (laughs) because I think it's a basketball aside. Sure. I I mean, I think people who like basketball will maybe automatically be drawn to the book from that perspective, but whether uh, in some cases, the lessons that you talk about were lessons dad was definitely trying to communicate. And some of them I think you inferred a lot of what he taught you in very, very valuable ways. So I think it's also a great story to read if you're a parent, especially a young parent, and wanting to help your kids grow up in a way that, in a way that validates them and, and helps them along and 
proves to them that, that you love them. And, and I guess, I guess the last point would be, it just, just from a global perspective, it helps, it helps when you're reading this to understand what, what we, what we all can be and what we can do. Dad, you know, dad was Chris Fagan and maybe a little bit of a local basketball legend, but certainly not anybody famous, but man, you know, he made, he made an impact. And if we can all strive to live our lives to make that kind of an impact, it, it just will be that much better of a world, I think. So I just find it inspiring. I am your mother. Um, <laughs> Look so at me doing the ultimate. Been- <laughs> my mom loves my book. Not only does my mom love my book, <laughs> let me bring her on a podcast and tell you why. <laughs> mom, please tell the people why they should love my book. That, I just did that. And I'm not ashamed at all. I feel I feel fine about it. I think you <laughs> should. established everything in the opener. <laughs> no, I... I- <laughs> I believe I, I am I am a mom to be sure, but as I mentioned before, like an avid reader and you know, Kate, you d- I I just think your writing is just so so honest and I, I really appreciate that, mother or not, and I'm sure the readers all the other readers will will too. Thanks, well, Mom. Kathy, I'm gonna wrap it with the most important question, and it's not what listeners think is coming. Is coming. It's not what I'm thinking is coming then either. What, what is the last cookie you ate? Oh, oh, interesting. Because you knew I was going to back up my daughter if I got the usual question. Uh, I, know, right. I know my Fagans. <laughs> um, with a lot of caveats, but I was going to. The last cookie. Oh, <laughs> oh, KB, KB, the Mom last Fagans. cookie I ate was that most amazing <gasps> chocolate chip cookie in Charleston. From Baba's on Cannon. Yes. Salted brown no, butter pecan there's, there's chocolate no, chip. There is no better cookie. chocolate chip cookie on earth. And yeah. You know what I did when you left? I threw it in the freezer, and there was only half of one left, but I threw it in the freezer thinking it was going to slow my roll, and then like oh, I was on an no edible way. later, and I just... Pulled it out of the freezer and I almost what? chipped a, a tooth. A, froze, this is worse than me. You froze a half a cookie. Come on. I know. It just seemed like a, it was post-birthday celebration. I was like, I need to figure something out. I need all this sugar in the freezer where I won't eat it. <laughs> Kate comes home. Oh, I'm sucking on a piece of frozen cake. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, Thanks, Mom. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and telling the people the goods. Oh, well, thanks for having me, guys. We Talk love to you, you later. And just to be clear, you, you were going to defend my oatmeal raisin cookie love with a few caveats, just so the listeners were aware what that meant. Right, Mom? That, that is definitely true. Okay. That is definitely true. But but I have to say, most oatmeal raisin cookies you get are are yucky. That's right. <laughs> yucky. Have, there we go. No, they are. Keeping it real. Uh, so, so, like, but a really great oatmeal raisin cookie? Oh, yeah. Yes. Wherever Let's leave those it at are. That. Wherever those are, when you find them, put them in all the freezers. Put just stuff them in freezers. You got it. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Love you. Bye. Bye. But um, I, I do want to just jumping off of not the last thing my mom said about the oatmeal raisin cookies. Important, <laughs> but not God, that mom. important. But one thing about all the colors came out, and my dad that I've that I think about a lot is that we have this obsession 
we like we to make our mark we have to like have a lot of followers and do something big and yet he was very dedicated and I don't know what I don't know that he was consciously thinking this but like he loved making the things around him infused with his attention and time and passion and I think it's really to keep that in mind that being beautiful and wonderful in your world is the most important thing you can be. And that in, not only does it n- n- not mean that you can't have, and this is like triple negative, but it doesn't mean that you also can't have massive reach. Because the book exists because my dad cared about being great in his world. And that can transcend. It doesn't always transcend, but it can transcend. And I think that's something I, I constantly try to reframe in my mind is making the things around me infused with my love and attention and trusting that that is the recipe. Absolutely. So one of my favorite parts about your book, aside from, you know, raising cookies, that, oh my God, (laughs) aside from the chapters that are named after me, um, (laughs) I, it it was, it was fun watching you compile this because I want to say days after your father died, you were immediately scribbling down every single memory about him and and you and your mom and Ryan just collecting stories, ideas, everything. It was um, quite beautiful. For someone who doesn't have that in her family, it was hard, but it was so beautiful watching you do that. And for anyone who hasn't read this yet, it's... um, it's very episodic. They're like little amuse-bouche lessons and chapters and it reads, I mean, I don't know if I would call it a page turner. It doesn't seem like the appropriate description Reserve for this book. Reserve that for a James Patterson novel, Yes, please. but it, it is a very easy book to read and pick Words up and set down. Words you can use are like masterpiece. Um, <laughs> right. But 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 Art. So, um, it's not from fix you. this masterpiece, what, and you may only pick one is your favorite chapter at the outset let me there's a thing that I do when talking about the book which is try and inject the conversation with humor because I'm so paranoid that a book about a dad dying of ALS like won't be seen to be filled with grace and humor and so I feel like sometimes I try to go overboard with that because that's a thing that I have running through my mind so that's why I keep doing these asides so I will try to limit them you do you, baby. <laughs> you do you. Um, so favorite of the of the nugs of the nuggets is what you're saying. Give me a chapter. So there, there's not a chapter that I love more than any chapter, mm. but there's a scene that I love more than any scene. And what chapter does that belong? I in? think it's in. It's one of the very last chapters. Um, I think it's in. I think it's in the many goodbyes, which is actually the last official chapter. Yeah. And within it, I'm I'm talking about this time when I was with my dad on one of the overnights when I would stay with him, and he asked me to sit with him, and this was at three in the morning, and he would do this frequently because he was not sleeping much. And if I, if he asked, if he woke me up around, usually around 3 a.m. to like fix his mask or fix something or get him water, he would often say, can you sit with me for a while? And almost all of the time I said, yes. And sometimes once or twice I was like, I can't, because it was like this wooden chair next to his bed and it was three in the morning. And it just, 
I would be so tired or delirious and it just felt so daunting to, to sit in this like rigid wooden chair. But there was one time when, when I said yes and I was sitting there with him and it was kind of, it was very, it was silent. And he said, can you come hug me? And he, we were incredibly close. And if you read the book, you'll, you'll find out like why and over the years and we, we talked. So it's not as if there's like, this is estrangement, but I wouldn't say that I would linger in his hugs or anything or that I would like be physically connected to him the way like my, my, my mom, I might like go just like drape on her for an hour at a party or something. Right. And I, I didn't do that as much with my dad, but so he, there's this moment that I write about in the book where he does say like, can you come hug me? And then he took that time to like whisper these lovely things into my ear and like, I'm not going to tease the book here. I think there are many reasons to read the book and this is not necessarily the, the number one reason. So I'm happy to just talk through it, but he was like, you're my little superstar. You'll always be my little superstar. And he was just like, so loving in that moment in a way that I don't think that I had known that I missed so much from him because he showed his love in so many other ways. And it was a very clear me as a kid moment. Cause we had like, you know, hit baseballs together and gone. We, you know, it was like, we did everything together. So it was very much like him recognizing who I was as a kid at the same time as recognizing who I'd become as an adult and him like acknowledging the blended version of both of those not, it is me, right? I am both of those people, but his very much acknowledging both of those people existing in that moment. And then he was like, you got to get up. You're crushing me. <laughs> <laughs> Which I knew was going to happen because he had trouble breathing when he was like laying down and then at it and me like lying my weight kind of like on top of him a little bit. But that's my favorite scene in the book because it's, it's a scene that in my mind is very real and and powerful. And that's a scary thing as a writer to try to, Capture? Or is this proof that I'm crying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel First like... time Kate Fagan has ever cried on free cookies. No, it's not. Remember a Sumon Kid? I cried. I cried on the Sumon Kid episode. <laughs> I did. They were just, it just welled in my, anyway. I, Producer Lindsay what... has a lot of stuff in her eyes right now. <laughs> it's a red hot chili pepper. Um, so that's, that's my favorite scene because it's the scene that means the most to me in my mind and that mm. I think I translated as as well, almost on par with how it exists in my mind, which yeah. as you know, it, as a, as a writer is n n very rarely the case. And I suppose this could be a, a section, a chapter, or maybe an idea, but what was the hardest to write? The hardest to write was the scene of when we were having a family meeting about whether or not he should have the life extending tracheostomy. Because being honest about it or being honest about what I had said in that meeting, which was that I didn't think he should get it. And mm -hmm. then I, and that I thought he should call in hospice because, and, and that was hard for me to write, uh, bec because I, I still am not sure that that was, that that was the right thing to say to him. And I, I'm still not sure that it wasn't a selfish response defending me and who my life and, and the, and being protective of mom, mom and Ryan. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and there's still not that, not that it's 
not that it matters now, but there's still a piece of me that wonders if after he had the tracheostomy and he wasn't in, he couldn't talk and he wasn't feeling good, just to put it mildly, physically having panic attacks, there's still a part of me that wonders that that that's lodged in his mind. That I didn't, I had already said I didn't want him to have it. So why should he, that, that we didn't want him there. And so on top of it, once he realized the, the pain of it and not talking, that there was, that always was still there. Was that Kate has already told me that she didn't support this decision. And I didn't support as strong. I mean, I did, I did support it once he made clear that he wanted it. But, you know, he, he did eye gaze. He used the eye gaze technology to type out like a message right after saying you were right about this. Once yeah. he had had the procedure, you were right about this. And so does that so I clear a, some of the, I mean, I don't want to project your emotions onto you, but guilt around that saying that to him? No, it I made, mean, you were speaking your truth. Yes. It made it, it made it, a, it made it a little bit worse because it made it clear that it, and not that I thought he'd forgotten that I'd said that, right. but is it highlighted the fact that it was something spinning in his mind and sure. I had put it there. And I think once you introduce an idea like that, it, it's, I, I imagine it was hard for him to not have that be a bullet point in his decision-making process. And it's very complicated for me because I, I think it should have been a bullet point in his decision-making process that I think that he at times was struggling to see was the impact of this disease, this collateral damage in our family. I think that was an important thing for him to try to see and take into account, but also I don't have ALS and mm -hmm. I'm not sitting in his life and, and you, at, at, in those moments you want to offer nothing but love and support. And so that, that was hard for me to write and get it and get it right the way my mom's feeling in it the way it, it it quote unquote actually happened right it's close of a version to that that was very difficult so it just makes me wonder if honesty is the ultimate act of selflessness or if it is an act of being selfish or if it's a dance between the two i think it has to be a dance a dance between the two because the the amount of thought I went through to go back and forth between honesty will help him get to a better decision, full honesty, because if he had done the trach and no one had told him that here Ryan and mom and I are talking about how we're scared of it and we're not sure we want it, and then on the backside of that grows resentment if he had had mm. it and lived with it. And then we're over, you know, at the local Starbucks, every chance we can get just like, you know, so overwhelmed by what the, what life is now. And then it completely alters relationships with between me and Ryan, my sister, between me and my dad. And so that me. honesty and you, what? Me. And you, yes, of course. <laughs> two chapters, two chapters named after Catherine. Do you, after Catherine do, in this do you book. think you wrote enough about me? <laughs> Let's focus on me for a second. <laughs> I actually think that I could have written a lot more about the, the effects on our marriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that what we boil, and I say we, what we boiled it down to in the chapters that it was gets the clarity of what people need across. Yeah. 
What so you talk about how one of your father's favorite sayings was That's power, funny. strength, and mental toughness. Mm-hmm. And it, it's pretty straightforward for what it meant to him. After everything that you've gone through, what does it mean to you? Power, strength, and mental toughness. Yeah, he would say that getting out of bed in the morning. And and he meant it very clearly. You push through physical and probably mental struggles and, like, you continue showing up. Um, I never adopted that philosophy. And, and I never really, I, it's not like something he would say, you know, coming downstairs in the morning. So it's not something I heard him say a lot. It's something that my mom heard him say every morning because he would say it getting out of bed. And <laughs> so it's not this thing that when someone says, I'm like, mm, that's dad's saying it. I don't know that I ever heard him say it, but I, I certainly adopted whatever energy comes from a father who says that every morning. <laughs> um, and it. Not and and his disease and seeing the deter deleterious, I think is the way you deleterious. The, yeah, the effects. Am I saying that right, Patricia Lindsay? Deleterious. Oh, it's like I'll, I'll I can leave that be, but we'll put a pin in that. The deteriorating effects. Uh. Um, <laughs> but dele- anyway, I'm not gonna get stuck. I'm not gonna get hung up there. Um, seeing the effects on his body of ALS, it's like hundred percent fatal disease absolutely made me rearrange what what the energy my dad gave which was you know no defeat no surrender you plow through everything until you're you know crawling across the finish line kind of energy i definitely abandoned that as a life philosophy and i'm i pay much more attention now to where surrendering is the the strength, the, the, the smarter, smarter move all around. And when it takes strength, I think that is a little tricky for me too, because then like anything, once you start to think, Oh, well, surrender is a thing I should be doing. You're like, well, okay, I'll just give up on this and give up on that and give, you know, so like everything in life, it's yes, you need, it's finding that balance between the power and the perseverance and also the surrendering. And that's where the, that's the magic place that you want to be, but you can often swing from one side to the other. Yeah. Another one of the lessons. So you share these, these beautiful nuggets, these lessons from your father throughout the book. And one of them is this great lesson on finding the center mark on a basketball court. And for those of you who have never been on a basketball court before, the center mark being this little notch Mm-hmm. That it's where you would shoot a free throw from. Yeah. And that Chris would take Kate onto the court and showed it to her and said that all across the world, you will be able to find the center mark. And that if you line your foot up with this notch, it lines your knee and then it lines your hip and then your elbows in line with the ball and everything is directly in line with the rim. And that's how you make your shot, which I'm assuming that's why you were such a good free, free throw shooter. That's actually two of the harder words for me to say in a row. Free throw. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Catherine. Um, Catherine eats breakfast. <laughs> so what, so the, the, the takeaway being that the center mark, this notch that no matter how chaotic a game gets, like this is that 
the eye of the storm. This is that place of peace that always exists, regardless of what's going on around you, if I'm interpreting. Yeah, I mean, it's very yogic. It's very yogic. It's So what is your center mark in life? Other than the center mark? (laughs) I'm assuming that you don't go onto a basketball court every day to find your center. It's more... It's more metaphorical. It's a metaphorical question. Yeah. And and I'm saying that that chapter on that center mark, it's still something I think about even if I'm not at the court. Right. So when you can actually envision yourself on the court doing that and that brings you back to your center. Yeah. Like when, when, when we meditate or which I hate being the person who acts like we meditate every morning. Right. And it's like a holier than nothing. When we go through periods where we're meditating. Definitely don't. Yeah. I, that is a vis, that is a visual that will be in my mind is this, I like the center mark and then like having your toe in line with it and, and having it be like a very linear lining up with the world. And is that something that you think about when you feel yourself spiraling because you were upset about a relationship about how someone's treating you? Like, I mean, is this what you... No, I probably no, I probably need to have something to fall back onto because I right now I just spiral and spiral and spiral <laughs> until I crash to the ground. So <laughs> like a high anxiety. That's how I do that. That's how I work with that. Yeah. But 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 um what as someone who watched the book like me write the book. Mm-hmm. What was your what was your experience like in in like watching, being a part of everything that happened with my dad, how it impacted our relationship, writing the book. Like what, what was your experience like in, in watching that process? It's very open-ended. It is. Well, I have a very yin and yang answer to that because in one sense, it was remarkably poetic and it was very, satisfying to watch you take what makes you happiest in the world. And in my opinion, that's writing. I think that you are most at home in yourself when you're writing. So to get to see you like take that medium and then take a story that is so important to you and mix that together. It's probably the most at peace I've seen you in a very long time when you would be writing that. And then just the, the, the giddiness with, you know, sharing your pages with me at the end of the day. And, and I know you hate this when I say this, but you would write everything so quickly. And I I know you always interpreted that as it wasn't good enough because it came out of you so quickly. But my point in saying how impressed I was with how fast you write is how eloquently you can put your thoughts to paper in a short amount of time. And this book came out of you quickly. And it, it is like the complete antithesis of who I am, who I am with my family, memories, stories. Like I could never get close to creating something like this. And I'm sure a lot of listeners feel that way too. So it's, it's, it's a gift for people to have your memory combined with your expertise of using words to encapsulate the emotions that were being had at the time. Um, and you, you talk about this in the book. On the flip side, I was also like, I will always come second. You know, it was, it was a really hard experience. I mean, we got together and your dad was sick, I think, within the first year, maybe a year and a half of us being together. 
and it definitely took over our life. And then my dad got sick and died. And then quarantine happened. <laughs> it's been a ride. Um, but yeah, it was a little scary. It just, Fagan's roll fucking deep. Like, and Budig's are like little daisies and you can pop their heads right off. <laughs> it's just, it's not what I'm used to. And so that was, it was, it was a little um, intimidating, I think. Beautiful and like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I don't know what it's like to have that bond. But I'm excited that I get to like vicariously experience it. So go buy the book if you want to vicariously experience what it's like to have that relationship. <laughs> That's all. Am I supposed to say more? No, I think 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 that's a good place to wrap it up. <laughs> I'm gonna do the end credits. Uh, yeah. This Rip. podcast <laughs> is brought to you by Lindsay Collins. You can listen to her podcast, F and B Radio. And you can join her Patreon and make her delicious recipes. Yes. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's always helpful. You can email us at freecookiespodcast at gmail.com or follow the Inky Phoenix on Instagram. And join us for the Zoom conversation at the end of June. Zoom, June, sound familiar. Zoom in June, where we promise to not cry, to cry. There will be no such promise. (laughs) I promise to eat a Carolina Reaper. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) This is the part of the show where Caroline Shea is listening and we got to just have a couple jokes for her, you know, because she, people, the people expect this to be a really witty part of the show. So I'm just trying to bring my best. She sent me a really good birthday card and on the cover, it's one of those kind of 50s style drawings of a woman being like, I do not spew profanities. And then you open them up and it says, I enunciate them clearly like a fucking lady. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good card. Thanks, Caroline. All right. Well, on that note, it's been real.